Today is the last day of January. A month of the year 2010 has passed. And most of us started this month, started this year, with the desire that something would be different in the year 2010 than we saw in the year 2009. The question for us this morning is, how did we do in the month of January? As we look back over the month of January and we look forward as God might grant us further life in the year 2010, how did we do in January? What was different this year than in the year 2009 in our lives? One of the appropriate things for us to do still here in the month of January would be to think about priorities and and how do we know how to navigate through the year 2010. I entitled the sermon this morning, Doing the Next Thing, Doing the Right Thing. Some of you will recognize that phrase. It's from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, of course, uh, most people know her, having written a good number of books over the years and, and first well-known because she was the widow of Jim Elliot. But she had a radio program for years and years and years. And Elizabeth Elliot had thousands and thousands, particularly of women, because her ministry was to women. She always began her ministry saying, hello, ladies, and speaking to women. She understood that it was inappropriate for her to teach men. And so she always addressed women, even if it was over the radio. She had thousands and thousands of women write her and call her over the years with incredibly difficult stories, whether it was health or marriage, very often marriage, parenting issues, and women who were just virtually paralyzed by their circumstances. And they would ask her, what do I do? What do I do? And she would say, do the next thing. Do the right thing. Do the next thing. Do the right thing. And that's incredibly important advice. It sounds so incredibly easy, but it's not easy. When you are overwhelmed, it's hard to remember to do the next thing. And it's very hard to know what the right thing is if you've not been well prepared in advance. Schooled to know that in difficult circumstances, what is the right thing? Or in new circumstances, what is the right thing? But God would have us to be very wise and discerning, very careful to read our circumstances at all times, whether it's life, a particular season we find our in, self in, the day today or the very moment that we're living in? What would God have us to do? He would have us to do the next thing and He would have us to do the right thing. And the Word of God is filled with information, training in righteousness that we might be adequately equipped for every good work. Will you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? There is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and 
a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And from Matthew 27... We find the Lord Christ demonstrating this beautifully in Matthew 27 and verse 40. Put it in context, verse 38. Chapter 27 of Matthew and verse 38. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Will you pray with me, please? Our God and Father, we do praise you that you are so perfectly attuned to every person, to every season and every situation to bring glory to Your name. And we pray that You would teach us to do that by Your Word, by Your Spirit, and by the example of the Lord Christ Himself. Bless that we would do the next thing and that we would do the right thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a number of times in our lives that we are given the uh, reminder of the necessity of checkups. We think about um, a dentist, and and when I was growing up, we were told, I I guess a dentist told us this for their own business, you know, make sure that you have a checkup twice a year. Someone asked me one time, how often are you supposed to have your tire pressure checked? They knew I didn't know anything about uh, cars. And the answer to that is that you're supposed to have your tire pressure checked every week. I've never checked my tire pressure in my life. But apparently people who know what to do know to do that. If you're going to go up in a small plane, or any plane, but if you're going up in a small plane and you know the pilot and the pilot doesn't walk around that plane before he gets in, I would advise you not to go up with that pilot. Pilots are trained, small pilots are trained 
to walk around that airplane and check it out themselves, put their own eyeballs on a number of necessary things before they go up. Reminders and checklists are very, very helpful. One of the best books I've ever read outside the Bible is a book called A Strategy for Daily Living. And it's simply it's a Jewish psychiatrist named Ari Kiev, but still an excellent book. But the, the thrust of the book, as much as anything, is making lists. He's very big on making lists and doing the next thing. Making lists and doing the next thing. Very, very helpful. You find people with t-shirts and bumpers, stickers and post-its that help them remember to do the next thing. These things are all necessary because it's easy to forget to schedule that next dental appointment. It's easy to lose sight of the big picture and get buried in the midst of individual things. And so, we have post-its and checklists and reminders. Priorities do two things. Priorities define your focus, which includes your energy and your time. Priorities define your focus, your energy and your time. And they clarify distractions. They clarify distractions. What's not a priority could very likely be a distraction. And we have to be very, very careful. I want you to see something here as you keep your finger in Ecclesiastes 3 this morning. Back in Matthew 27, the very first um, the passage that we read there this morning. The first thing I want to observe to you, the reason I gave it to you as an example is this. In Matthew 27, they say to him, If you are the Son of God... Come down and prove who you are. But he has something more important than proving who he is. He's already done all kinds of things to prove who he is, and he's going to do another huge thing to prove who he is. He's going to rise from the dead. But the priority of the moment is to die for the sins of his people. Is Jesus interested in demonstrating who he is? Yes! And he demonstrates that again and again and again. He walks on water. He speaks to the winds and the waves. Demons flee from him. He heals the sick. But the priority on this day, as he's nailed to the cross, is to finish the work his Father has given him. And he stays on the cross. He understands what his priorities are. And he does the next thing which is to endure a little more pain on that, not, not a little more, a lot more pain, but time-wise, a little more pain on that cross and do the right thing. He came into the world for just that purpose. Doing the next thing and doing the right thing requires an understanding of where we've come from and where we're going and what is it that's on God's heart And it requires that sense of post-its, that sense of reminders. We have to be asking ourselves again and again and again, am I doing the next thing? Am I doing the right thing? And how do we know? Well, the answer to that has to do with daily devotions. It has to do with the right orientation in our thinking. It has to do with seeking out wise counsel, looking to the head of household, looking to your parents, uh, looking for wise understanding in every circumstance. I don't know much about cooking, okay? I know nothing about cooking. But I know this. I know that when you cook, you have to think 
of the order that you need to do things. You have to plan ahead a little bit. You have to be aware that when I get to such a point, am I going to need something that should have already been warmed up or thawed or something? You have to, you have to kind of plan ahead. And as you start preparing the meal, you don't just start doing what you want to do. You think, what's need, needful to be done first? And what can I leave to the end? Righteousness is the same way. Husbandry is the same way. Fatherhood is the same way. Motherhood. Sainthood is the same way. What do I need to be doing now? What's important that needs to be addressed today so that when I get next week, next month, next year, I'll be ready. I'll be ready for that event. I had the opportunity this week to uh, uh, meet with a gentleman and he was talking about priorities and I acknowledged to him that there were things going on in his life, that there were some things that over the next six months or so to a year that he needed to address in a very real way and they weren't going to be around as opportunities to address in the future. It's critical that we recognize what is the priority now in our lives. What's the priority of life? What's the priority of the season? What's the priority of the day? What's the priority of the moment? Well, what is the priority of life? I hope you know it. (laughs) What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the priority of life. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When we think about glorifying God, we glorify God in two areas. Hopefully you're aware. Uh, All of our understanding. You know, it's important to have infrastructure. (laughs) That's what theology is. It's infrastructure. All of our understanding of God falls into two categories. Creation and redemption. They are the two pillars of what God is and does. Creation and redemption. And so when we think about enjoying God forever, enjoying Him forever, glorifying Him, we think about creation. Creation glorifies God. And it does it beautifully. And it's a constant witness to us to do the same thing. Listen to this. Um, Well, let me find it for you here. Uh, Let all things now living, a song of thanksgiving to God the Creator triumphantly raise, who fashioned and made us, protected and stayed us, sustained us, who guides us and leads us to the end of our days. His banners are over us. His light goes before us a pillar of fire shining forth in the night till shadows have vanished and darkness is banished as forward we travel from light into light. The idea that the world is just passing through and, and, and time, it's unfolding and unrolling right before us, and, but let everything at all times, listen to this, His law He enforces, the stars in their courses, the sun in its orbit obediently shines. What is the first priority of everyone in regard to authority over them? Obedience and honor 
And the sun is out there every day. It gets up exactly when it's supposed to get up. And it shines all day long. And it sets an example for every man and woman and child. Obediently shining, doing exactly what God has called it to do, bringing glory to the Heavenly Father and benefits to the people and to the creation. Every day, creation gives us an example of doing the next thing and doing the right thing. The hills and the mountains, the rivers and the fountains, the deeps of the ocean proclaim Him divine. We too should be voicing our love and rejoicing with glad adoration, a song let us raise till all things now living unite in thanksgiving to God in the highest. Hosanna and praise. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God would have us to do it. And there are many other hymns. If you don't know these hymns, I encourage you to learn them. The one I just read was Let All Things Now Living, a beautiful hymn. The Spacious Firmament. Wow, what a glorious hymn that is. 117. God All Nature Sings. We just sang it this morning in worship. Jesus said this. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see a very critical connection. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What is the priority of life? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What does the sun do every day, all day? It obediently shines. It does exactly what God tells it to do. It's right where it's supposed to be when He wants it there. And what are we? Let your light so shine before men. We are the same thing. We are the stars in their orbit. We are the sun of the world in that sense. We are pointing to God constantly by what we say and do and what we don't say and do and how we say and do what we say and do. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Creation. All creation brings glory to God and the redeemed should do so as well. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the pit. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the pit. Mark chapter 5, you remember, it's the gathering demoniac. And after the gathering demoniac is healed from all those incredible demons and everything else, he wants to follow the Lord Christ. And what does the Lord Christ say to him at the end? The Lord Christ is leaving the region and he says, I want to come with you. And the Lord Christ says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on your soul. 
Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on your soul. Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the mouth of the pit. We see over and over again this idea of creation and redemption. And that is what God has created us for, that we would indeed join Him in His God-centeredness in creation and in redemption. These things are to bring glory to His name, and we're to join Him in that. That's the priority of life. And it necessitates salvation. It necessitates salvation in the fullest sense. But salvation is a subset of that. Salvation is a subset. As we are saving the united to Christ by faith, as we put our trust in Him, and the Imago Dei, the image of God, is being restored in us, then we move more and more into that area of letting our light so shine before men that they glorify God. What is the priority of the season? And this is very, very critical. The priority of life Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is the priority of the season? And the question for us has to do with what season we're in. And it's critical that we always are aware of the season that we're in. Whether it's youth or early adult, married or parenting, and even with parenting, parenting younger children, parenting older children, the empty nest or the golden years. What is the season that you're in? What is it that God would have us to do at that time? And we need to be looking at the Scriptures to see what it is that God has used people in those various ages before. And it will surprise you. It will surprise you how God has used various people in different times. There are patterns that you can follow. And then there are incredible exceptions as well. Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. King of Israel. Moses becomes the leader of the people of God when he's 80 years old. Abraham has Isaac when he's 100. It will surprise you sometimes, but there are also patterns that we see of youth, of youth being diligent to understand the teachable nature of youth. The essence of youth is to be teachable, to recognize I have much to learn and I want to learn so that at all times I can do the next thing and do the right thing. Early adulthood, the necessity of recognizing that distinction between childhood and adulthood, 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Early adulthood to recognize that change. When I was a... uh, headmaster of a school in Asheville, uh, one of the things we would do is we would pull the people together in the seventh grade, the parents of the seventh grade children, and we would say to them, you must pull your children aside at home. We're going to do it at school, but you must pull your children aside at home and help them to understand that the seventh grade, things are different. You're, You're beginning to move into the early stages of adulthood. You must begin to see yourself differently And as parents, you need to communicate that to your children. And the children need to understand that that they are indeed moving out of childhood and into adulthood. They need to be told that. They need to be treated in that way. We ourselves need to be thinking of where we are in the season of life. A young adult man or woman needs to be thinking about marriage. 
It is not good for man to be alone. He needs to be thinking about marriage and preparing for marriage and what he needs to be doing and laying the foundation for that. Unless God has given him a very unique exception to that. And it is an exception. But the rule is to be preparing for marriage and career and in thinking and in maturity and in parenting. Clearly, the season of a parent is parenting. The season of a parent is parenting and there are other things that no longer the priority during that season. And those parenting skills change from younger children to older children as the, as the children grow. We need to be thinking about that at all times and mindful as we look at scriptures, what are the things that people do and how they bring glory to God at the seasons of their life. And here, as the month of January in 2010 is now passing, today being the last day, what is it that God would have us to be doing And are we doing that? What is the priority of the day? What is the priority of the day? Please understand this. The priority of the day is worship of God. The priority of this day and tomorrow and the next day is worship of God. How can you best worship God? And there are a variety of ways. There are a variety of ways that you can worship God. But private devotions. Turning aside from everything else going on in your life and exploring and delighting and embracing, basking in private devotions. Reading of God's Word. Calling upon Him in prayer. Sincere prayer for yourself and for others. Worshiping God. And then that spirit of worship throughout the rest of the day. The priority of today is worship of the Most High God. The priority for tomorrow will be worship. When you go to bed at night to reflect upon the day and think how you worshiped God throughout the day, worshiping God in all circumstances, we read it in uh, Paul says, I've learned that in everything... I can do all things. What does he mean? He means I can worship God in every circumstance. I can worship God in prosperity. I can worship God in the opposite of prosperity. That's the context of that. I can rejoice, he says in there, rejoicing. I can always be doing that because it's not a matter of my prosperity or my lack of prosperity. I'm worshiping God. I'm I'm focusing and delighting in Him as a Creator and as the Redeemer. The priority of the day is worship. And therefore, we can draw near with a better understanding of Daniel and men like that or King David, Psalm 55, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. Worship is the priority. And so therefore, you begin to see, well, if I'm going to worship God, I'm going to need something to worship Him with. And therefore, you'll need to memorize Scripture. You'll need to hide things in your heart and be able to pull them out at will to be able to worship God in every circumstance. Obedience, obviously, is the second aspect of worship. It's a part of worship. That we bring glory to God as we obey His commands and as we get them into our heart and they come out from us uh, more and more. It is a delight to understand that. It changes your whole perspective when you begin to recognize what the priorities are, the priority of life, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
The priority of the season, to understand what season you're in and to recognize that there are things, there are great blessings, there's a, my attention needs to be here, that sense of a cook, what do I need to be doing now so that I'm ready in a month, in a year, in five years, in ten years. The priority of the day is worship. What a different perspective that gives you when you think about whatever it is you need to do tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. Your priority is to worship God in whatever it is you're doing. And then the priority uh, of the day, we think about uh, focusing on the day. Matthew 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount. 6.25, you're certainly familiar with this. Matthew 6.25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spend. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It goes on to describe the whole idea. How does it sum up? Verse 32, he says, If you're too caught up in your plans, if you're too caught up in your plans, that is, if you don't understand that your priority for the day is worship, If you're too caught up, he calls you a Gentile. This is the Lord Christ speaking, verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Pagans is what he means. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, brothers and sisters, very few people in this room believe that. All of us know it's the truth. Very few of us believe it. He's saying that you start every day and you pile it through every day seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. All day long, every day, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness and recognizing that the time that you spend on your knees is going to be more valuable than all the time and elbow grease you can spend all day long in whatever else that you have to do. And you have real responsibilities and real labor. The Lord Christ is not confused about that. He's the author of the entire Word of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. He understands the priorities. He understands the responsibilities, the duties that we have. And yet, the time that we spend with Him, a wise man stops to sharpen his axe. And worship is the most essential nature of sharpening your axe. A wise man stops to sharpen his axe. And that's why David and Daniel could worship God evening and morning and at noon. What is the priority of your life to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? What is the priority of your season? It depends on what season that you're in. You'll need to study that individually. What is the priority of the day? Worship. And finally, please hear this. What is the priority of the moment? I want you to be thinking about this as you, as you go out of here and as you're contemplating this this afternoon and you're thinking about uh, on Monday and Tuesday, well, what, what, did, what did the preacher preach on Sunday? Well, he preached on doing the next thing, doing the right thing, and, and he broke it down into four priorities. But when he got to the last priority, what is the last priority? 
The introduction to John says this, the law of God came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is the priority of the moment? Grace. What is the priority of the moment? In every circumstance, in every communication, kindness and consideration, thoughtfulness, gentleness, grace in every situation, and a grace that never compromises truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace in every circumstance. What a remarkable thing. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. What is the priority of the moment? Grace. How are you handling the moment? How are you handling this moment as a priority? Doing the next thing, doing the right thing is grace and truth exuding from you by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. I have to tell you, that's a very, very challenging one uh, for me. Uh, it, it really is. To, I did that. I mean, that is walking in the Spirit. Um, when you go to law school, they invite your spouses. <laughs> the, first, the first week of school, they invite your spouses to a reception. All schools do this. Chapel Hill School does this. They invite your spouse, not you, your spouse to a reception. And they say, your spouse is going to change. They're talking to the non-student now. The other one's in law school. They're talking to the spouse and they say, your spouse is going to change. Your spouse is going to become very impatient because we're going to teach them to get to the truth, get to the point, get to the point. And as they develop that skill, they're going to become very impatient because they're focused on getting to the point. And we're going to be beating that into their heads day after day after day. And you're going to notice that change. And they give the spouses the non-student spouse, a fair warning. And I have to tell you that that really is true. As a result of that, when people are telling me a story or people are, or I'm involved in a situation or whatever it is, I just, I want to get to the point. I want to, I want to, and I, and I often find myself just realizing that, I, and I am serious when I say this, I feel myself lapsing into lawyerhood in certain situations and I have to be reminded that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
every circumstance to be thinking of grace and truth. Grace to this individual in this situation at this moment. How would the Lord Christ do this? And that's the beauty, brothers and sisters, of the whole counsel of God's Word, but particularly of studying the Gospels. Studying the Gospels as the Lord Christ encounters every situation. How would Christ encounter children? How would Christ encounter women? How would Christ encounter a grieving mother? How would Christ encounter a woman who had been uh, ill for years and years and years? How would Christ encounter a man who seemed to be inquiring about religious things and yet wasn't really willing to change at all? The rich young ruler, Luke 18. How would Christ deal with people who are slow to understand his disciples? How would Christ deal with the self-righteous, the Pharisees? Understanding various circumstances and how grace and truth is manifest in that circumstance. Now look back to Ecclesiastes 3 and we'll be done. I want you to spend some time, now that you've got this kind of structure, go back this afternoon, this week, and reflect upon this variety. I love the fact that God is so wise. He's not just simply one-dimensional. He's keenly aware, as beautifully demonstrated, particularly in Christ and the Gospels, when you see Ecclesiastes 3, it's a description of Christ and the Gospels. Spend some time with your families, heads of household, looking through Ecclesiastes 3 and every one of the phrases, a time to give birth and a time to die. The idea of Christ's willingness and his, his understanding. He, he, is, he attends the wedding at Cana. He's, he's so mindful of, of pleasant experiences. A time to give birth and a time to die. The idea of the changes a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. Christ is just planting the kingdom and he's uprooting that which was wrong, that which has gone uh, off track. Uh, a time to kill and a time to heal. We see this idea of Christ healing um, in every circumstance, but, but with his words and with his truth. And he's also in Matthew 24 and 25. That's, uh, excuse me, Matthew 23 is where he really takes on the Pharisees with those seven woes. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Christ himself weeping at the death of Lazarus when he sees how sad Mary and Martha are. And he weeps with them. A time to laugh. I love that. That it says specifically there is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn. And there is a time to dance. What a remarkable thing that the modern church, and I think of the modern, these, these large mega churches, have just completely, uh, largely, ignored that reality. That there is a time to dance. There is a time to laugh. And there's a time for sobriety and reverence. There's a time for seriousness. and We need to understand that ourselves. What is the priority of life? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What is the priority of the season? It depends on the season you're in and you need to study that season and how it changes. What is the priority of the day? To worship God. What is the priority of the moment? Grace in every circumstance. The year 2010 will be different from the year 2009 
as we understand and apply these things to the praise of God. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, it is our desire that Your image would be more and more marked in us. We recognize that here on the last day of January that the year 2010 is already beginning to slip through our fingers. And we want to make advances in grace in the year 2010. Bless us then with this infrastructure to be thinking about priorities and doing the next thing and doing the right thing. Order our steps to the praise of Your glory. And grant that we would let our lights so shine before men that they may see our good priorities and glorify You in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.